This is episode number 10 of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Go, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Howdy, welcome to the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I am your host today. I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to share your earbuds with me. I hope you've all been having a great week. Things have been pretty hectic for me. I've been working on crushing out a few magazine issues and also working on uh, another product we're about to launch. So yeah, things have been really busy for me. It's actually starting to get quite sunny here in Melbourne, so that's always pretty exciting. A lot to do, a lot of things to see, and a lot of events on, so that's always awesome. Today, our guest is Daniel Flynn. He is the founder of Thank You Group. The company is very well known in Australia. They're a a non-for-profit organization, and in this interview, you're going to get an insight into what it means to be totally selfless around what you believe in and your vision and what it takes and what it means to totally commit your life to changing the world. I know this is something that I think gets, to be honest, thrown around way too much around changing the world, but Daniel actually is making a massive impact on the world. I won't dive into this too much because we cover a lot of it in his story, but pretty much Thank You Water is a truly epic charity and they're in pretty much everywhere you go now, supermarkets, convenience stores all around Australia, and this water, a percentage of it goes to charity. But what's really cool about this company is it's not your standard non-for-profit. This isn't a social enterprise. So eventually, one day when Thank You Group is you know a $100 million company, Daniel actually won't get to see any of that. Even though it's a company he founded, he told me himself he doesn't get paid that much. He doesn't, he doesn't earn a ridiculous salary. Everything he does 
He does because he wants to make a difference. There's a lot to be said in that. I know a lot of the founders that we feature are people that make a lot of money. And at the end of the day, who doesn't want to make a lot of money? But at the end of the day also, it's about the impact and the value and what you're doing to help other people. How much do you care? This is the stuff that truly matters. And Daniel is an extremely humble person, somebody that I respect personally so much. So in this interview, we cover his challenges that he faced, his struggles, and really how to bring a vision to life and what it means to keep going when all of your odds are down. And also he reveals some really powerful strategies and tactics around how to get into some of the biggest retailers in the country. So there's a lot you can learn from him. So that's it from me, guys. Sit back. I hope you enjoy the show. Today I'm talking with Daniel Flynn. At the age of 19, Daniel Flynn discovered the alarming fact that while 900 million people around the world did not have access to safe drinking water, Australians spent $600 million on bottled water each year. As a result, Daniel founded Thank You Water. So, Daniel, look, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time, man. No worries. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. So, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started doing the work you're doing today? Yeah, man, sure. I was in first year uni and I was studying project management. I sort of had a bit of a, I suppose, a rough kind of five-year plan to get into property development. So that, that that's where I was heading. I grew up, I was kind of that kid who was, you know, at school selling gobstoppers to other kids if gobstoppers were kind of the craze or I remember selling pet yabbies and just heaps of crazy little things like that, lots of little businesses and little ideas and I'm not sure where it came from but that's just sort of how, how I tick. So as I grew up, that's where my headspace was at. I'm at uni, I'm sort of, you know, working on my future you know, my plan. And I remember doing some research and and I just came across this fact that 900 million people in our world don't have access to clean water. And I remember sitting there, um, you know, I grew up in Australia my whole life, so I don't really have much experience overseas or, you know, really I know of about, you know, in our country we have 23 million people. So I thought, gosh, 900 million people. Like, how, how is that still going on? Like, how do 900 million people still not have access to clean water when we have such a developed world? So I did a bit more research, and it probably wasn't the big fact that really got me. It was just the individual stories of kids who literally are spending their entire day going to collect water for their family. And I remember sort of just, just being really caught off guard by that because, I mean, that's insane, an entire day. I mean, some kids are spending half a day, but even that is crazy. And the stats say that 4,500 kids die every day from waterborne disease. There's stories of kids who bring the water home and it's that water that ends up killing their siblings, you know, even maybe one day then, you know, them. And so I had this moment where I remember sitting in front of my computer, I'd watched all these videos and stories, and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm tearing up, like I'm starting to cry because I'm going, well, you know, what if that was me? And I've got twin sisters that are younger than me. So imagine if, you know, I walked day in and day out for them. You know, let's say I was born in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa. I'm walking day in, day out for them. I watch them die. And then someone comes along and says, oh, the water you got them killed them. And it's just like, it's a crazy thing that I'll never have to go through. 
But I suppose I got really uncomfortable that we live in a world that other people are going through that and part of me just wanted to do something about it. Wow. That's a really, really powerful, one of the best realisations I've heard. So how did you start? How, how long ago was this? So this is back in 2008, so about five, five and a half years ago. I sat down with a couple of close friends and, you know, two in particular, um, Jared, who, who's now one of our co-founders and directors, and Justine, who's another co-founder and director, and also my wife. So we, we were sitting down, and there's a few other people there, and we're talking about this problem. And anyway, I, I, I basically shared that there's this massive issue, and while I was researching it, I also was a pretty, pretty staggered by the fact that in our world, you know, even in our country, we spend $600 million on bottled water. I personally, you know, think bottled water is pretty stupid. <laughs> it's just one of those products that, you know, we probably shouldn't buy because we get good tap water for free. But from time to time I do because I'm thirsty and I don't want a dirty bottle of Coke. I want something healthy and and, and I kind of end up paying for convenience. And you know, I pay $3 for a bottle, I'll slap myself in the face like, what am I doing? But I'm not alone. And in our country, yeah, we're spending $600 million. Globally, we're spending $50 billion on bottled water. And it's just that crazy, yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable because, you know, we've got this industry, but at the same time, we've got 900 million people who don't have access to clean water. And so we talked about this idea of launching a brand of water, a brand of bottled water. And the idea was that the brand will exist for the sole purpose of funding water projects in the developing world and essentially just empower Australians to make a simple switch. And by doing that, they're doing something that maybe they've never done before. Now, that I have to say, I love what you guys are doing. It's extremely honourable. It's extremely impressive. And it's an example of using business as a force for good. Yeah, correct. And we're, look, we're, we set up as a social enterprise, which is just a, a bit different to a charity, but again, a bit different to a standard business. So the way it works is that our business is 100% owned by our, our own charity. And then 100% of the profits we make, they go up to our charity. 100% of that goes out to our project partners. So it's a model where essentially we exist all for the cause. Obviously, we have great you know costs involved to make products and make it all happen. But after that, yeah, we're funding these projects. Wow. And can we fast forward to now? So where, where's Thank You Water at now? I know you have some other products. Correct. Well, we've, we've actually rebranded and sort of renamed the the organization from Thank You Water to Thank You Group. And that happened in July last year. We kind of made that transition to Thank You Group. And we're now trading under the brand name Thank You. Just one word, real simple, thank you. And our, our brand, I suppose you could say our brand mantra is live every day, give every day. And it's the idea has sort of grown from, from water to now we've launched a food range and a body care range. So in the food range, we have muesli, muesli bars, oats, and quick oats. Mm-hmm. And every pack you buy provides a week's worth of food to someone in need. So that's a week's worth of physical food aid. Plus, it also funds a long-term sustainable food program. And then our body care products, we have like hand wash and hand lotion. It's a really premium kind of product, all natural, you know, really high quality. But by buying that, you're funding health and hygiene projects. Part of the, the, the entire product range, we have a system called Track Your Impact built in. 
So I don't know about you, man, but I kind of have always had a bit of an issue with, you know, your supported cause, but you don't really know what, what is the impact that you make. Mm. Um, I mean, you know you're giving money, but, like, what, what's the impact of that? So we developed this program called Track Your Impact, and it took about a year and a half to develop, but every single product has its own unique tracker ID. And by that, I mean, like, there's literally no two bottles of water or two muesli bars with the same code. And you jump on our website, you track a code into the website, and we zoom in on Google Maps with GPS coordinates to the exact project that you're funding which is kind of cool because you can literally see like the village, you know, the roofs in the village, like it's that detailed. And then, you know, six to 12 months later, once a project's complete, we can actually email you a final field report. Wow. That's really cool and it's really impressive. And I just wanted to know how much impact are you making on the world right now? Can you, can you throw us with some numbers? Yeah, man, we're working in 11 countries at the moment through our projects and our project partners, and we've funded over 100 projects in those countries. In terms of impact, so we've helped fund over 67,000 people get access to safe water. So that's through long-term programs like wells and filters and all that kind of thing. We've helped over 62,000 people get health and hygiene training and funded over 60,000 weeks' worth of food aid to people in need plus we've just started some great long-term programs so that's kind of the early stats a lot of these products for us you know the water's been around for five years but the food and the body care range they only launched here in supermarkets about three months ago so they're really new wow now like i said it's it's really amazing what you're doing man and one thing you have done is it kind of leads well to my next question is you got all your products onto the shelves of Coles and Woolworths and 7-Eleven, so our biggest supermarket retailers and one of our biggest convenience stores in Australia. How did you do that? That's a good question. It wasn't easy as the answer to that. I think now there's something like over 4,500 stockists. So there's all the majors that you mentioned plus guys like Starbucks and IGAs and heaps of independents and it's it's crazy to see everyone getting on board but you know for three years we really we couldn't get even just one bottle of water into major retailers you know we, we just we really struggled and we, we had a couple of hundred independent cafes and, and like small chains on board but none of the big players were interested because I mean to them any new product is just risk. And they look at it as, well, if we're putting you on the shelf, we're giving you that space that we could give to another big product. And because you've got like the Coca-Colas of the world and all these big companies who literally pump millions of dollars into product launches, mm. what it means is now that retailers, they, they want to see that you're literally going to put maybe three million bucks on the line in marketing and advertising to support the launch. And that, that expectation, you know, Look, it's not everywhere, but it's it's pretty common that they, they just want to see significant support. And the tough thing for us is we don't, A, have that money, as, you know, most sort of people in the social space don't have that. But even startups, like $3 million, $2 million, just crazy money. And if we did, we wouldn't just go chuck it into billboards. I mean, in our case, we'd, you know, we'd be funding more projects. So we had this problem and we're a bit perplexed because we're like, well, we know it will sell. We know people will get behind it because we've talked to consumers, but it's convincing the retailers of that who just doesn't matter how good the presentation slides are, doesn't matter how, how good our kind of 
our plans are, they're just not buying into it. And so we realize that we have to take a pretty bold step. You know, we have to do something that maybe has never been done before because we needed a result that hadn't been got, you know, hadn't been done before. So anyway, we came up with this idea and it was back in 2011. We picked 7-Eleven, so they were first. And the way it worked is we, um, we booked a meeting with them and two weeks prior to the meeting, we launched a video on Facebook. And the video was a call to action to our fans and other Australians. And it said, you know, two weeks from today, we're presenting to 7-Eleven Australia. But we don't want to walk in alone. We want you to come with us and we want you to basically just let them know that, hey, 7-Eleven, if you stocked Thank You Water, I'd buy it. So that was the call to action. We asked people to upload a video or a post directly onto 7-Eleven's Facebook wall. And it was a bit of a bold move, but when we launched, within probably the first day, they had over 400 posts on their Facebook wall, which was pretty epic because, you know, they had maybe, they were getting maybe four to five a day at the time. So, you know, the campaign was off to a good start. You know, 7-Eleven obviously didn't know about this. They just knew they had a meeting with us. And so when the campaign launched, we got some good media behind it. We were able to get one of the main programs called The Project on board that night. And they had, at the time, I think just under a million viewers. So we were on there, we were talking about, they briefly mentioned the campaign, but they were talking more about our story. And then that night, it went crazy, man. Like, people are uploading videos of them singing, dancing, rapping. It was it was absolutely unbelievable. And just hundreds and, you know, even thousands probably of posts going on the wall. And more and more media got behind it. And it just began to spiral, which led to the meeting at 7-Eleven. Obviously, they, you know, this hasn't happened before, so... They said their CEO and their whole team have been glued to Facebook and, you know, we go in and we present and this time the pitch was real different because this time we weren't saying if you get behind this, media will get behind you, the public will get behind you. It was more like, well, as you can see, the public are behind this. As you can see, the media have got a lot of buy-in to this story and, you know, if you, if you sign on, not only are you just selling a great product, that is going to make money for you because it's a commercial offer, but you're also going to help make, you know, change the world. And they sat back and I think, you know, they were really impressed. So, uh, you know, it was probably a bit annoying for them, but at the same time they saw that, you know what, this has potential and they arranged the product. It was one of the, I think one of the fastest new product launches I've ever done. And when that happened, you know, we, we outsold Evian and then we outsold Evian and Courage and, the brand just went from strength to strength. And, you know, 7-Eleven really partnered with us. They got really behind the cause. They ended up taking out their home brand water, which was called Munch Water at the time. So they took that out of the fridge and they replaced it with our water, which meant that we had, like, almost more space than any other brand. And we just went on to sell, you know, went from you know hundreds of thousands of bottles to literally millions overnight, which was pretty epic. So that, that's 7-Eleven. We then took it a step further than that. So the campaign was successful. We were pretty hesitant just to do it again for the sake of it. Like we knew that, you know, quit while you're ahead. You know, like it was a good success story. But over the next two years, so if we fast forward from, you know, we landed 7-Eleven at year three. Yep. So fast forward two years to year five when we launched for the supermarkets. For those two years, about a year and a half of that, we were developing the new food range and the body care range. And, I mean, as you can imagine, these products are a lot tougher than water, and we put a lot more work into it because 
our priority is that number one, we bring you and consumers a product that's better than competitors. Number two, by buying it, you're changing the world. And number three, we'll prove that. So the reason that order is really important is because I think if we made lame products that didn't taste good or were just sort of a bit substandard, like we'd all buy it once because it's a good cause and then we'd go back to what we actually enjoy. So we are first a product company because we want to, you know, actually, you know, I'd love to think that these products would sell just as good if, you know, without the cause. But the moment you add the reason why we exist, then it's like people will sign up for life. That's kind of the idea. Anyway, we developed the products. We developed Track Your Impact. And then we launched on the 17th of July last year, we launched the Coles and Woolworths campaign. Now, this was obviously the 7-Eleven campaign pretty much on steroids because now we'd pinned the two biggest retailers in Australia sort of against each other in the sense that we'd branded it Coles and Woolworths campaign. It was a pretty big risk. You know, again, we'd booked a meeting with both of them. And two weeks prior to that meeting, we launched a video on YouTube. And the video went viral. I mean, on day one, it had about 10,000 views. Within the two weeks, it had over or just under 80,000 views, which is pretty epic. But the video was a call to action. And again, saying, hey, get onto Coles and Woolies' Facebook page. Let them know that, hey, if they stock the thank you range, you'd buy it. And thankfully, literally, like thousands and tens of thousands of Australians got behind it. And their Facebook walls for two weeks, every few, like every few seconds, every few minutes was just more and more uploads. And, you know, whole schools got behind it with videos. And we had about 15 celebrities show their support, which was pretty humbling. And they posted videos. And then we had, during the two weeks, 90 mainstream media features. So... It was just off the chart, man. Like, we're a brand that has, like, low to no budget for marketing. Mm-hmm. And we, we had enough to make a good video, just sort of get out there and go for it. And to see the media, and the media were, you know, they were really positive, but some of the media was just like, are you guys nuts? Like, do you realize that what you're doing, like, you're, you're sort of taking on the biggest retailers out there. And, you know, there's a lot of skepticism. A lot of people thought it wouldn't work. And, and a lot of people thought that we were, you know, they thought a lot of things. But anyway, look, we got through. We presented about three days before the presentation. We actually had two helicopters, one in Melbourne and one in Sydney. And they both flew carrying a 10,000-square-foot sign each. So the one in, in Melbourne said, Dear Coles, thank you for changing the world, in brackets, if you say yes because I hadn't said yes yet. And then we flew that round the city, up the freeway during peak hour, and then around their head office for about 20 minutes. <laughs> so the helicopter's like literally, it's the biggest sign you've ever seen, flying right over the roof, like did laps. We did the same at Woolworths up in Sydney at the same time. And that definitely caught their attention, and that was all sponsored by the helicopter companies, and a donor paid for the sign just because... You know, he loved the idea and couldn't believe how crazy we were attempting it. And then we walk into the meetings. Five hours after the meeting with Coles, they called. And that call, you know, really caught me off guard. But they said, um, we're taking the range nationally. And, you know, after the Woolies meeting, literally three hours later, they called to say, we'll take the range nationally as well. So it was a pretty epic couple of weeks. Yeah, I can imagine, man. These these are like seriously the ultimate pitches. Yeah, I suppose in hindsight they are. And look, that's what we 
going into it, that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to do the ultimate pitch. I read this thing on Facebook once right, about you know, the status quo. So the status quo is, you know, the way things have always been done. Mm. And, and this is a typical Facebook comment, but it was like one of those memes or something that said, sometimes you need to high-five the status quo in the face with a chair. And <laughs> it's kind of a violent picture, and that's why I like it because, I mean, we literally did that. We just had to go, cool. So there's a way that you're meant to do it, like go, call, present, behind closed doors, don't tell anyone. If you get in, then you announce it years later. But, you know, we, we just went, nah, we're, we're going public, and make or break, and we went for it. Yeah, I was going to say, you use the power of social. Yeah, totally. Yeah, look, that's a really amazing story, man. And look, I just wanted to switch gears and, and talk about the vision and being in love with your vision because, like you said, these past five years, it, it was a struggle, Right. There were some tough times, and we actually have some mutual friends. So while you were working on this, yeah. on this massive project, you were working full-time or part-time at yeah. another company, yeah. and you've seen some hard times. So how is being in love with your vision and getting your team members in love with your vision, how important is that to you? Yeah, man, I mean, obviously it's crucial. I think, you know, we, we did it pretty tough, particularly the first three years. So we started getting paid at the three-year mark. And that was like, that was a tough three years. Like we, we volunteered, you know, we knew that when we got paid, it'll only be charitable standard pay, but who cares, man? Like when you work in, I worked jobs as a traffic controller. I worked in call centers. I worked with, you know, our mutual friend in a Vodafone store just selling phones. And I was getting shifts on the weekend and kind of after hours shifts just so I could pay the bills so that I could, you know, keep working and thank you. So yeah, it, it was tough. I suppose being in love with your vision, it's one element to it. But to be honest with you, like people have asked me before, like, oh, so did you ever feel like giving up? Mm. And it's like you have no idea. Like I literally probably there wasn't a week that went by in the first three and a half, maybe four years where I didn't feel like giving up. Because, you know, and one thing you know, we haven't really touched on, but there were so many setbacks and so many issues and so many hurdles. And the only thing that really kept me going is, you know, there's the vision and it's like this should be out there, it should be massive, but it's also just the why behind what I do. And because for me I've got such a strong why, I'll literally get up every day and just go again. And you can say no a hundred times, doesn't matter because I'm driven by something deeper. I'll, I'll just keep going. And for me, it's real personal, but it's sort of two things, two elements to that why. You know, I'm waking up, you know, to help people. So that's one element. The other thing too is I, I go to church. And so part of what I believe, and, and it's sort of foundational to, I suppose, who, who, who Dan Flynn is, if I put it like that, is this concept of living your life for other people. So I grew up learning that, I believe that, and I suppose for me, thank you is a way that I can live that out. Like I can actually every day, I'm waking up, not for me, but to live, you know, to impact others. And so with that kind of core, deep why factor, that's what helped me get through the hurdles. That's what helped me keep going. And I suppose the why is going to be different for each of our team members. You know, everyone's motivated differently. The one thing that does unite us, because we do come from a whole bunch of different backgrounds, but what does unite us is the cause and is that if we succeed, 
we will help not just tens of thousands, but one day hundreds of thousands and then one day millions of people. That's a pretty exciting thought. No, for sure. And, and, and you can't put a price on that. You can't, no. You talked about setbacks and failures. Tell us about some of those, man, because I don't like to just shine on the glossy things. Yeah, our first order went out to one of our the largest private distributor in the country. So the order goes out for 50,000 bottles. We get one pallet delivered to my parents' house. Yeah. And as we're unloading it, we freak out. And the whole team is silent because a third of the product in every box, the label was scrunched onto the point you couldn't even read it. And it turns out that the whole run was affected. The factory had some quality issues. And they said to us their quality control guy was away when they ran our product which is an absolute joke. But anyway, so we, like a few days into our launch of the brand, we had to do a a national product recall. So that was kind of hurdle number one. You know, from there, we built up 350 outlets stocking our water over the next six months. And then our factory, who promised the world, couldn't really deliver. And over three, actually over five weeks, they couldn't or they didn't supply any water. And it was pretty epic because, you know, five weeks to some people doesn't sound like, like long, but it meant that we lost 300, about 350 stockers because they said, we're not working with you. You're just kids. You don't know what you're doing. And they, they went back to the, the other brands, you know, the bigger brands on the market. And that was real tough because that's six months into our journey, a year into the whole startup process, and it's all fallen apart. You know, the whole idea came crashing down. And then we went to relaunch the brand and we, we relaunched and we got a couple of distributors on board for the relaunch. We got a new factory and when we relaunched, the big distributor that took us on up in Sydney, they took a truckload of water from us. They, they were confident they get us in about 2,000 outlets in a month. So we were like, we're stoked. We're thinking this is huge. And then they go bankrupt. So we get a letter from a legal accounting firm to say they're now in liquidation and I mean, this is the relaunch of the brand that's failing to launch. You know what I mean? Like it was just, it was kind of like a a nightmare, kind of like a movie, man. It was just bizarre. Issue after issue, setback after setback. And, you know, from there we had like a couple of size, medium-sized retailers in our country who were interested. They both looked at the product. Both of them didn't go with it, which was pretty discouraging. But then they both came out with their own bottle that went to funding water projects, which was like even more discouraging. Like we love the cause, so we're happy about that. It just sucked because we were talking to them for a lot longer before they did that. And yeah, we sort of we got through that, we moved on. Then we just had, you know, every retailer in our country, big or small, at the three year mark, we had a story about them. Whether they'd promised to deliver and hadn't delivered. You know, some announced on national TV that they were gonna stock our product and then they never followed through with it. It's just, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty epic, the kind of things that happened. But we, we kept going. We had a why behind what we do. We had something deeper that we existed for. We had a team who were committed and we were not going to give up. Yeah, and now it's going from strength to strength. Yeah, man. That's amazing, man. Look, we have to work towards wrapping up. And I have a few more questions for you. One of them was, can you tell us about what you've had to sacrifice to get where you are today? What did you have to give up? Luckily, I haven't had to sacrifice anything. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. It's, it, it sacrifices like the one part that no one tells you about. It's like, the, it's like the bit that, you know, if you knew the sacrifices going into it, you may never have signed up for it. 
as we got into it, I mean, it's definitely worth it now, now that we've made the impact that we make. But I think the sacrifices, there's a couple. So one of them obviously was time, and we were putting maybe 30 to 40 hours a week into thank you water at the beginning. And that was tough, man, because we're balancing our uni degrees. Justin and I got married kind of early on in the whole process. So if you can imagine that, like we're married, we both have a part-time casual job with no security, and we're doing that after hours to earn money so just so we can pay the bills like week to week so that we can work in thank you order and we're both trying to finish uni. So we potentially signed up for maybe more than we should have, but it was a pretty epic first couple of years. And I'll never forget that living week to week kind of like, you know, money dries up on a Friday, you get paid on a Tuesday kind of vibe. And so you're <laughs> like, how's this weekend going to work? You know, and it, it was kind of tough. I mean, on top of that, I got to the point where we were successfully failing at everything, if that makes sense. Like we weren't getting anywhere and I just went, we're going to have to give this everything or we're going to have to let this go. So I actually deferred from uni or pretty much dropped out, never went back. So three years into my degree, I just said, no, nah, you know, we're going to have to go hard to get this off the ground or it's just going to keep going nowhere. I suppose that's not really a sacrifice. It's kind of now a cool story. I dropped out of uni. But at the time, it was that decision of I have no backup plan. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, there's no backup. There's not, if this fails, I'll just go to my other job that I've also landed. It was like, nah, we're just going all out of this. And, you know, if it fails, then you're going to go back, repeat subjects, or you go do a, another year at uni. And it kind of, when all your friends are um, graduating, you know, and they've got their degrees and you're kind of like putting all online, that was pretty scary. But then even even the other organisations up and running, and, you know, we've got 16 staff now, and, you know, a big office and my growing team and, you know, we're paid now, which is cool. But from, I suppose, an entrepreneurial point of view, because we're set up how we're set up as a social enterprise, so myself and the other directors, we don't have any equity in the business and we never can and we don't get shares, we don't get dividends or we don't get profits. So we essentially have, we've got a job, which is great, but I mean, I could go earn more working as a traffic controller on roadworks, but instead... I mean, I'm doing something I'm passionate about, but most people in our situation now, you know, they're self-made millionaires and, you know, they're sort of, they got that story and they're doing that kind of vibe. Whereas, I mean, that's not a priority to us, but at the end of the day, that's, that's one of the sacrifices, the choices we've made is that we're going to build something that won't just be, you know, worth tens of millions, but soon, you know, hopefully hundreds of millions and, and so on. But at the end of the day, we won't see that personally. Which is cool, man. Like, it's, it's not... Sacrifice is a funny word. Like, we chose this, but it's just one of the realities of it. Yeah, man, so that, that's just a couple of things for you. Yeah, no, look, thank you. Often you, you hear and you see of these big-time entrepreneurs, you, you're doing these amazing things, and, and it's obvious that you, you would have had to give up a lot, and I just want to touch on that because you don't always hear about that stuff. Yeah, man, Totally. So, yeah, look, I have one last question for you, and that is what's the best advice you would have to someone that wants to become an entrepreneur? How how do you build something and scale like you have? All right. Well, look, there's a lot of things to it, and so I'm sure if, you know, people subscribe to Founder, there's going to be heaps of different tips, and, you know, everyone's got different things. I, You know, there's things like I love teamwork. I think if you try and build something on your own, 
you're kind of setting it up to fail from the start. So we build a great team around the idea and that's what has got us to where we are today. And that's cool. But I mean, even, even then you can have a great team and you can have a great idea, but you can still not actually go anywhere. And I've learned that, you know, people listen to ideas. You can book meetings, you can have coffees, you can do whatever, and you can share your idea and people will listen. Mm. But they partner with opportunity. Our journey has been how do we create that opportunity that is too good to miss? And so I've given you like two examples of web talk of the 7-Eleven campaign and Coles and Woolworths campaign. They were creating opportunities for our largest retailers to look good, to make money and to change the world. And we set it up in a way that we weren't just sitting in a meeting sharing an idea, which we had many times before and got knocked back every single time. But we presented an opportunity. There's probably another 50 examples where we've done that on a smaller scale when it comes to raising capital or, you know, just heaps of little things we've done. It's all about, okay, we can share this idea, but how do we create an opportunity? How do we create something that people want to get involved with? Because, you know, we've learned the hard way that people want to be involved with something that has momentum. Mm -hmm. And so the entrepreneur's role isn't to say, I have an idea. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people that have an idea. And there's a lot of people who are not entrepreneurial who have a great idea. They'll tell you at a party or over dinner, I've got this idea, we should do this, you know. But I think the entrepreneur's role is to get the idea and then create momentum mm. and find a way. Because once you have momentum, that changes the game. And I remember sitting down with this CEO of a one of the biggest companies in Australia, and he, and he was doing a bit of mentoring for me at the time, which was pretty pretty exciting. And he's, he's sharing some stuff, but he said, Dan, he said, get momentum and keep it because when you have momentum, you can ask for things you could never have asked for without it. And that's a powerful statement because, you know, once you get a bit of momentum, man, like, you know, look at the campaigns we ran. We launched a video. We put it all on the line. Some people got behind it then more people saw people getting behind it. Then media get behind it. Then celebrities get behind it. And then it just kind of spirals out of control. But it would never have happened unless we found a way to create that initial momentum. Yeah, so that's probably my big tip. Yeah, no, that that's really profound, man. That's, that's, that's gold. Thanks, man. I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time, Daniel. It's It's been an awesome chat with you, man. Like, really, really inspiring. And, yeah, I love what you guys are doing. Yeah, look, thank you for taking the time. No worries, man. Appreciate the chat. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.